we are going through this time of this assurance of salvation, and sometimes you were jumping back into John chapter you know, 14, 15, and 16, and uh, 17, and you're thinking, how in the world does this have anything to do with this assurance of salvation? And it really is this understanding of as Jesus is going away, he gives them the, some of these promises of the, the, the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of what we're kind of in a mini-series, in a, in a series of understanding this, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as Jesus is there, he's celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And that's where kind of the scene picks up in John chapter 13 there. Is where Jesus is there with his disciples. He's washing his disciples' feet. He is uh, celebrating the Passover time. And again, that Passover meal is just uh, that, uh, that near the Jewish people was their New Year's celebration of understanding of this is how God has rescued us from the slavery of, of Egypt. And it really was symbolic. And when we went through the Gospel of Luke, we went through that time of the Passover meal was celebrating. Yes, they were celebrating of Jesus, of how they brought Him out of slavery, but it was more symbolic of this is what's going to happen with the Messiah. How the Messiah is going to come. How God has rescued us not from the slavery of, of Egypt or even of Rome, but the slavery of sin. How everything pointed during that time to of what Jesus was going to do. And so then you had this uh, time as Jesus knows his, his final time with his disciples. He's there in that, that upper room. He, he washes his disciples' feet. He begins teaching his uh, disciples the kind of, hey, I'm leaving. And that's what we've seen so far. I'm leaving. We are going away. We're going away. But it's okay. Because I'm going to send someone else, another helper, to take my place. And so as Jesus goes on, and we've seen this over in John chapter 14, Jesus says, you know, I'm leaving, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And of course, uh, uh, the disciples or Thomas says, Lord, where, and where are you going? We've been with you over these past uh, several, uh, several years, and we've been walking with you. Where in the world are you going? Why can't we go with you? And of course, Jesus says the famous words that you have memorized. No, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then you have Philip who says, you know, we want to see the Father. And Philip and, and Jesus responds and says, listen, I've been with you for the past three years. And you still don't understand that the Father and I, referring to God the Father, the Father and I, we're, we're one. So if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And then Jesus goes on. And that's where we saw last week where Jesus goes on at the end of chapter 14 and says, you know, yes, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to send you as orphans, leave you as orphans. I am going to send another helper to take my place. And this other helper is called the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Truth. And this Holy Spirit is going to be with you. He's, he's, and that's, he's going to be with you until for, for, for the rest of your life and, and into on into eternity. He's going to be with my followers. And He's going to be in you. Yes, He's going to become a part of your life and He's going to influence your life. And He, and again, as those verses talk about how, how we are to walk in the Spirit. And again, that, that understanding that the Holy Spirit lives in us and the Holy Spirit is influencing our lives and the Holy Spirit is controlling our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. We give up control. We surrender our lives to God when we come to know Him as our Lord and Savior. 
Not only that, well, the Holy Spirit will teach us. He will be that Spirit of truth that leads and guides us and helps us understand what it means to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. But then He will also remind us. And again, one of the tools that the Holy Spirit uses in our lives is, is God's Word. And, and in John's and the disciples' days, Jesus said, He's going to remind you of the things that I've said. And so, of course, as they're writing these things down, he's reminding them of this is what Jesus said, this is what Jesus did, and so forth. In our lives, the Holy Spirit does the same thing in the sense that the Holy Spirit uses His Word and reminds us as we live our lives, this is God's Word, this is the truth of God's Word, and reminds us what God's Word says. And then we have this scene here where Jesus goes on. In fact, at the end of verse uh, chapter 14, at the last, very last verse, Jesus says this, you know, come now, let us leave. And so they leave. They leave the upper room. And they start heading to the Garden of Gethsemane. Of course, if you grew up in the church, you know what's going to happen at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus prays there. That's where Judas leads the, the soldiers there. Jesus will get arrested there. Jesus then will be taken to the, the high priest's house and put on this illegal trial. He will then be taken in the morning, very early in the morning, sometime around 6 a.m. in the morning. He will be taken to Pilate's house and be uh, flogged and then uh, be condemned and then be led out to be crucified. And about 9 o'clock the next morning, on what we call Good Friday, He will be crucified. But as Jesus is there in that upper room and as Jesus is there heading towards the Garden of Gethsemane, He then talks about and uses this illustration, as you can see. And there are some very important things that we know that Jesus tells us by this illustration. And the first one is in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. Jesus is the vine. And again, if my tablet was working, or Amy, if you could pop up the, the uh, picture of the grapevine. There you go. The grapevine. This is what it's referring to. When I was growing up in, around up in Erie, my, there's a town right on the border between New York and, and Pennsylvania called, called Northeast. The reason why it's called Northeast is because it's in the, the Northeast section of that little chimney that Pennsylvania has. Funny story, no one wanted that chimney. New York didn't want it, Ohio didn't want it, so Pennsylvania got it. And that's why it looks like that. But up in that little Northeast section... There's a factory up there, and you all be all familiar with this company called Welch's. That factory in Northeast makes, makes the jam, not the grape juice, makes the jam. And then when you're driving up in that area, north, that Northeast area, right along the I-90 up in the Buffalo, there are grapevines all over the place. My grandmother, she worked in the, the, summer, the summertime when she worked, during the school year, she worked in the cafeteria at the Northeast High School. The summertime, she worked as a grape harvester when they used to do it by hand. And they would, they would have buckets and they would go along the, the, the vineyards and they would cut the, the, the groups of clusters of grapes off and put them in the basket and take them to the, fact, take them to the, uh, the end of the trails where they would dump them into the wagon and then they would take them to the factory. Nowadays, they have a machine that does it where they literally drive this tractor between the roads and they, they will shake the vines and then catch all the grapes as they go. Interesting machine. Fascinating to watch. All that to say is 
this is the image that Jesus is thinking of. And he's probably, as he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane, he, there may be vineyards there that he's seeing, and that's why it comes to mind. But this section of that goes from the, the top, where you see all the way down to the ground, that's the vine. That's the vine. And Jesus says, I'm the vine. Jesus is the true vine. The second thing we see here in verse 1 is that the Father is the gardener or the vine dresser or the farmer. God the Father is the farmer or the vine dresser or gardener. So God the Father is the one that is tending to this vineyard. Jesus is the vine. And you think about even farming nowadays. The number one job of a farmer, especially it doesn't matter what they do, even with the cattle farm, the number one job is to make sure that they are able to produce the biggest crop as possible. So if you're a milk, if there's a, it's a dairy farmer, they're going to do everything they can to, to make sure their cows are well, have the right nutrition so that their milk volume increases and they are able to produce the amount of milk that, that, that uh, as possible. If you're a cattle, a, a beef farmer, it's the same thing. You want to get your, your beef cows to be so big that when you have to send them to the butcher to give us like the, the beef and the steaks and, and so forth, that, they, that you get the most bang for your buck to be able to have the amount of weight. If you're a, a, a farmer in the sense of dealing with corn or, or whatever, you are trying to make sure that your corn is, produces the, the biggest ears and the most kernels because that's what you want when you take it to the, to sell it, the market. And that's the job of the farmer is to get the branches in the, in, when you're talking about the vineyard, to get the branches to produce as much fruit as possible. And Jesus goes on and says this, verse 5, I am the vine. You, referring to His disciples, are what? The branches. So Jesus' disciples are the branches. God the Father is the farmer, and His job is to get these branches to produce as much fruit so that when you're walking through the vineyard, you can see, ooh, those are nice, big, plump grapes. And the bigger the grapes are, Sam's Club will want to buy them. I have never seen grapes as big as Sam's Club grapes in my life. But that's it. But in order for the farmer to do that, Jesus says in verse 2, the farmer has a very important job. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. If you, even nowadays, if you Google or you want to have grow grapes at, at your house, there is a process that you have to go through, and it's a pruning process. A process where, where every single year, you have to go out to your vineyard, and you have to cut off. Because what happens is this. Is, is if you leave grapevines to function on their self and just naturally go... They will produce so many buds or, or areas where the grapes can produce that it will become physically impossible for the vine to be healthy, to get good grapes. And so you as a farmer have to go through and you have to cut some of those off and you have to, to weed some of those out so that the nutrients from that vine goes to just a select few so that then you are producing a good harvest every year. The farmer has to do that. Again, his, Jesus' disciples, they knew this. 
A lot of them, they were, they were, they were fishermen. And they, and, and they understood because of the culture that they lived in that was a farming culture, agricultural culture. For us nowadays, that culture isn't there. You go to the average person, maybe not so much Bedford County, but you go to the average person down in Washington, D.C. and ask them the question, where does your meat or where does your food come from? Where would they say? The grocery store, Walmart, Sam's Club. There you go. Sam's Club. There's a disconnect between grocery stores because people don't, grow, people don't live on farms anymore. But Jesus' disciples knew that. So when, they, so when Jesus said, you know, the father's the, the gardener, and he cuts, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's that pruning process that goes on. And again, that's important. Because if you want the branches to be healthy and produce the best possible uh, harvest as possible, they have to be pruned. It's necessity. And if things... Dead branches, what happens so many times in, in grapevines is after a couple of years that a branch dies or whatever, you need to go and you need to cut that off so that it's not soaking up the nutrients, so that the nutrients can go into the healthy part of the plant. And then Jesus goes on and kind of explains this. And again, we need a little bit more explanation because again, we don't live in, not too many of us have grapevines growing in our backyard. And so Jesus goes on and says this. He says, I am, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If ye remain in me, and I in you, ye will bear much fruit. And again, there's so many debates about, you know, what does Jesus mean about fruit? Well, when you think about other parts of the Scripture, is as we follow Jesus, as we follow Jesus, we will produce fruit in our lives. And that fruit refers to how we live our lives. Again, we've already seen these passages of Scripture of Galatians chapter 5. And if you uh, don't re- remember that, just remember the hand job where it says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Paul goes in and explains this. You know, there's, there's a difference between how a non-believer lives and how a believer and how a believer lives. And Jesus says that my followers will produce fruit. And that's how they live their lives. There's going to be a life change that takes place. And, what's, what, and, and how this plays out is, is as, again, we call it the fruit of the Spirit, is that it just, doesn't happen, you know, we don't have to force this. It's like a, a, a grapevine doesn't have to force producing grapes. It just naturally happens as long as it's healthy. Just like an apple tree doesn't have to force to be produced apple. We have an apple orchard down below our house. It hasn't been taken care of for years. And they, it still produces apples. And the deer love it. We find a crazy amount of deer every single night eating these apples. But we don't have to go out there and say, hey, guess what? You're an apple tree. I think it's time for you to start producing apples. No, it just naturally happens. And that's what Paul is saying there, why he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what Jesus says. Those who are my disciples will produce this fruit. This is naturally going to happen. But the God the Father is what? The farmer. And He prunes. And so sometimes the Father is going to prune or cut out the sin in our lives. Why? So that we can produce more fruit. So that we can become more like Jesus in what we say and what we do. And that can be a hard process 
Because so many times, you know, we, we have this image, and it's the wrong image, that we think that, you know, God the Father is up there. And He's just waiting for us to screw up. And when we screw up, He's going to, He smacks us over the head with a two-by-four. Or there was the NCIS, I, I don't know what the popular television show is, but NCIS, I used to watch it for years. And, uh, and Gibbs would always, like, smack him over the, uh, Tony over the back of the, um, uh, the back of the head, and they would call it the Gibbs slap uh, eventually. And sometimes we think that's like God. But I think instead God is up there crying out and saying when we, when we choose, and that's what it is as a follower of Jesus, we choose to disobey God. We choose to continue in sin. And I think God the Father up there is, is having tears in His eyes saying, don't you understand? I want more for you. I want what's best for you. And you choose to live this way. This isn't good. Many of you know that about over, I guess over a year now, we've uh, adopted a, a dog into our household, which has been interesting. It's been good for, I guess, for, for me because I, I get to walk the, the dog every morning, and, and that's been enjoyable. But he, because of his background growing up on an Amish farm and being abused and neglected, he, he has... He was a scavenger for, for many, many months of his, of his early life. To the point that when we first got him, he would eat crazy stuff. He would eat garbage. He still eats crazy stuff. And we're thinking, buddy, don't you know? Your food dish is right, right there with food in it. And I know I've shared this story before that one time that as I was walking him our, and our neighbors, uh, garbage uh, got spilled and, and after the garbage, uh, there, there was bow, bow tie uh, noodles all over the place. And as I'm walking him, he starts, he's like, oh yeah, this looks good. And I'm like, buddy, garbage, garbage. And I got to the point where all I have to say now is garbage and he, generally speaking, he, he's pretty good. Those bow ties were a greater temptation. But as I'm saying this and interacting with our dog and saying that, I think all of a sudden I'm thinking, isn't that a picture of just what God does in our lives? This temptation comes in our lives. And we're thinking, ooh, that looks good. And the Holy Spirit is yelling in our hearts, garbage, garbage. And we're like, well, God, that can't be garbage. That, that looks good. And the Holy Spirit keeps saying garbage. And then so many times we, we settle for the garbage instead of uh, saying, okay, Lord, I'm not going to choose that. And I'm going to walk in obedience to you. The Father is that farmer that He works in our lives. And sometimes it is painful. I mean, when those, that farmer goes and cuts the branches off the vine, I mean, you think that it doesn't hurt the grapevine, but there's some pain when God comes to us in the, through the Holy Spirit and says, need, you need to get this out of your life. That's hurtful. That's painful, especially if it's a habit that we've been doing for years. But that's how Jesus says, that's how the Father, because the Father desires for you to produce much fruit, to be like Jesus. The other thing that Jesus says here in verse 4 is after He says, you know, you've, uh, I'm the true vine. My father's a gardener. This is how my father functioned. That he he, prune, he prunes uh, the the vines, and so that they produce much fruit. And the, no one bears any fruit. They get cut off. Verse uh, verse three. You are already pure or clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Verse four. Remain, abide in me. There's been books written about that word. What does that mean? 
And again, if you grew up in, in the church, and this is a, a well-familiar passage that, that, that so many times, uh, a lot of pastors, and, 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 and they'll, they'll talk about, it. well, this is what it means to remain or abide. But this is what that word means. To abide or remain in Jesus means to stand fast, to stand, stay put, to not move. And so what Jesus is saying here is that you are to remain in me. You to abide in me. In other words, don't go off to the right or don't go off to the left and start following other things. Continue to follow after me. That's what that word means. Because Jesus, again, Jesus is leaving. Jesus is, in a matter of hours, He's going to be arrested. In a matter of hours, Peter is going to deny Him not just once, not just twice, but three times. In a matter of hours, they will see Jesus there upon that cross. They will lock themselves in that upper room. And they will be terrified. And then that first day comes, Sunday. Why is Jesus resurrected on a Sunday? Because if Jesus was resurrected on the Sabbath day, no one would have seen Him except for the Roman soldiers. Because they could not go to the tomb on that Saturday. They had to wait to that Sunday when Sabbath day was over. And then, they, what did the women expect? They expected to see Jesus buried in that tomb. They expected that. They weren't going to, to say, hey, guess what? Jesus said He was going to be resurrected in three days. Today's the third day. Let's go see if His Word. They went to be mournful. They went to put Him and give Him that proper burial. And so when they saw that tomb, that stone was rolled away. They panicked. And they said, what in the world is Jesus' body? Why does John and why do Peter go running to that tomb? They weren't going to rejoice. They weren't going to, to celebrate that Jesus' resurrection. They were going to, to see one world happen. Now John tells us that after he saw the tomb that he believed. But Jesus is telling them, listen, I'm leaving. But don't. Don't abandon. Don't abandon me. Don't turn your back on me. There's some crazy things that are going to happen over the next three days. Continue. Continue to walk and put your faith and trust in Me. Don't go off to the right. Don't go off to the left. Continue. Do not be moved in your faith and your trust in Me. Continue to follow Me. Because in verse 4, Jesus says, Remain in Me, and I also will remain in you. Verse 5 is one of the key verses in this passage that Again, we want to know kind of how this all plays out. Verse 5 is kind of that key verse where Jesus kind of explains a little bit more. You know, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. In other words, that as you continue to follow Jesus, as you continue to follow Jesus, God's going to work in your life and you will become more like Jesus. And again, that's what that bearing fruit is. That Christ's likeness will become more and more evident in your life. A key verse for a follower of Jesus is verse 5 because we cannot keep His commands. We can't live like that. We can't keep His commands and walk in obedience to 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 Christ apart from Him. And that's what He says there. Apart from Me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from Me, you can't do anything. 
But so many times again, so many times as believers in Jesus Christ, how many times have you got to the end of the uh, a pastor's sermon and, and, you're, and, and pretty much it's like, well, you got to go out and you got to try harder. This is the list of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And again, depending on what church denomination and depending on what generation you have, there's, a, there's this, this list that this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so many times we look at these lists and we say, I can't live up to that. Or, oh, that, that list is only for, you know, like missionaries or international workers or like pastors. Oh, that's what there's, that's, that, those are really the true Christians. And we're just kind of like, I just hope I get, get in to, to heaven someday. That is not at all what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We were singing that song about how we will rise with the saints. Do you realize in scriptures that, in scripture, that word saint, what that word refers to? We think in our minds, oh yeah, there's this category called saints. Like you have like St. John, St. Luke, St. Mark, St. Teresa, St. Valentine. He was a real guy. Not the uh, guy, not the big person in the diaper with the Cupid type, but he was a real guy. You want to know what happened, why we celebrate Valentine's Day on February 14th? Because that was the day he was martyred. Sometimes we see these special people because of the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church that say, well, these are, these are saints. But you realize in the New Testament, the word saint means holy one. And Paul uses that as your average believer. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are a saint. Because we are to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. And we can't do that on our own. And that's why the Holy Spirit, and that's what Jesus is saying here, apart from me, you cannot do this. We cannot keep His commands apart from Him. Apart from the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Apart from the Holy Spirit uh, leading us and guiding us. Apart from this gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We cannot produce fruit. We cannot become more like Christ. And it's only by that staying, remaining connected to Him that we can walk in obedience to God the Father. We remain in Christ by walking in obedience to His Word. Jesus goes on and says that as we live a life like this, as we continue to walk in obedience to God, as we continue to produce this fruit in our lives, as we live in obedience to Jesus, one of the byproducts of this is that the Father is glorified. And that way, that's what He says there. And let me read uh, verse 6. If you do not remain in Me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7. If you remain in Me and My words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to My Father's glory. Verse 8. The Father is glorified. God the Father is glorified as we walk in obedience and live a life that is pleasing and honoring to Him. As, and again, that understanding of glorify is that we bring praise, we bring honor, we bring glory to God, but it also is that understanding that as we live our life, that people will be attracted to coming to God the Father and worshiping God the Father. Just like those that light is attract, attracts bugs. Francis of Assisi said one time that you know, the, the only way 
that unbelievers are going to, this is a paraphrase of it, the only way the unbelievers of this world are going to understand of who God is is through the believer's life. They're not going to pick up the Word of God. You are, and this is what he says, you are the only Bible that unbelievers will read. You realize that? That was the purpose of the the that was the purpose of the nation of Israel. They were to live in such a way that people of the other nations would be attracted and see this is Yahweh. This is the one true God. And we want to come and we want to be a part of the nation of Israel because we want to worship Yahweh. The same is true as us as believers in Jesus Christ. We are supposed to live in such a way as, as Jesus is here. We are to live in such a way that God the Father is glorified so that people are attracted to come and seeing this is who God the Father is. This is who the true picture of God. This is who I thought was, but this is what through your life has influenced me to understand this is who Jesus is. And I want to be like that as we live our lives. As we live in obedience to Jesus, the Father is glorified. But then, this process goes on. He will then prune us so that we become even more like Jesus. And this is this, day, this, is this lifelong process. When we talk about the big theological term of this is sanctification, becoming like Jesus. And we as an alliance, we say that, you know, Jesus is our, our, our Savior. Jesus is our sanctifier. Jesus is the one that does this process through us, that we become like Jesus. And this is why in the alliance we talk about how, yes, part of our understanding of sanctification is, is a lifelong journey. This does not happen overnight. Because what happens is this. As we remain and abide in Christ, and we continue to follow after Him, God the Father comes and says, hey, what about this? What about this in your life? Oh, okay, I'll deal with it. We, we, we repent and we walk in obedience to that. And then later, a little bit later, God the Father comes and says, hey, what about this area? And then what about this area? It's a lifelong journey of where God the Father comes and starts pruning us. And the whole goal of this is so that we become more like Jesus. So that what happens as we become more like Jesus, we then bring Him even more glory. Even more praise. And that's this lifelong journey that we're on. And every day, every year, we need to ask ourselves that question, am I becoming more like Jesus? Do what I think. Do what I do. Do what I, how I say. Am I becoming more like Jesus? If not that maybe I need to get alone with God and say, God, are there areas in my life that you need to prune? Are there distractions in my life that you need to prune? Because maybe there's times where, I'm, where I am choosing to walk in sin or in obedience instead of walking in you, in obedience to you. And it's interesting is when you ask, start asking that question and where you are still and you desire to hear what God has to say. So many times, God will say this area or that area. Again, this is a lifelong process. But as Jesus is going to that Garden of Gethsemane to pray with His disciples, He uses these grapevines as an illustration to say, this is what this process of being a follower of Jesus is all about. Remain in Me. Continue to follow after Me. 
you're the branches that they're just going to naturally produce fruit, naturally be, be living a life that is pleasing to God. This fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These, these are things that are just going to happen. At first, they may be a little bit. But God the Father is this gardener who's going to come and going to work in your life so that His goal is to produce much fruit in you. Where at the end of your life, you can say, you're more like Jesus today than when you were first believed. That's the goal. That's the goal that the Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives to empower us to do this. That's the goal in God the Father to work in us, to mold us, to make our lives. That's the goal.